You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Man, I love that Joy Badass song, Devastated. Welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. This is the coolest show on climate change, if you're just checking in. I am Rev Yearwood of the Hip Hop Caucus. Thank you for joining us today. We are pumped up for today's show. Uh, we call it Think 100%. Uh, we need 100% clean energy for all, and we also need to keep it 100. I mean, let's keep it 100. I'm so excited for this show because this is a um, very important week. We have Passover um, that is starting uh, on uh, this coming Friday. We have Easter. Good Friday is on Friday. Easter is this coming Sunday. So we thought it was only right to talk about our moral and our spiritual obligation to protect the planet and our communities. We have two incredible guests joining us, um, both doing great work um, to move the issue regarding climate change. You can follow us at hiphopcaucus.org, uh, at, at hiphopcaucus on Twitter, and submit quick questions on Twitter using the hashtag Think 100. I'm so happy that we are here with the WPFW A9.3 family. Um, this is going to be an amazing show that we have for you today. Um, again, for those who are just joining, welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. So first, let me just start off um, by giving some shout outs um, that have been happening. Um, one... I want to bring up this past weekend um, was very powerful with the March for Our Lives. Um, you know, I think it's just, to me, it, again, it, it, I said this last week, but it, it breaks my heart that I know that when Dr. King marched, he marched for jobs and justice. And, and now our children are marching for our lives. And let, let that sink in. But they were amazing. Uh, we in the and the hip-hop community had a lot of folks out there, young people who were there. Uh, my brother, Vic Mensa, who got it started, who always did the song that ends this show, uh, We Could Be Free, is by Vic Mensa. Common, uh, Wanda Durant, uh, groups like Head Count, Rock to Vote, with Latino, getting out to vote with us. Uh, we registered over 1,500 people, um, so that was amazing. Um so, um, and this is actually for those, I mean, if you know me, um, I'm wearing a hat in that process regarding gun violence and just all violence, really. But my hat today that I'm wearing is actually Alton Sterling. Um, news broke today in regards to, um, you know, no, no issues regarding bringing justice for that brother. And it's hard because, you know, this past... We could go and we're going to bury Stefan Clark. So it's it's hard. 
Um, but this is why we, we have to join these issues together. And they are how we can fight poverty and pollution at the same time. Um, I just got back. I just, I literally just flew in from Flint. And, you know, the old joke goes, you know, and boy, are my arms tired. You know, <laughs> that wasn't so cool. I know it's for the coolest show on climate change. Um, but you got to say some jokes. You got to have fun in the movie. If, you, if, if it ain't fun, you done. If it's not fun, it's a wrap. Um, and so we were there at the Resiliency and Environmental Justice Summit yesterday. Um, and please be clear. Um, Flint still does not have clean water. I need to say that again. It's been four years in April, and Flint still is fighting for clean water. Um, I was just, I mean, we had mothers there. Uh, it was so good to see, um, to see a lot of the young people and the mayor. Um, but, um, you know, I, I got to say this. One, one of the reasons why we do this show on climate change, and it has a little bit of flavor to it, Hip Hop Caucus, Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. We, we do this show because this issue is so serious. And it ha- we have to sometimes, you know, add some things to it to get through it. Um, you know, and that's why this show today on, on spirituality and actually on, on, also on, on, on green tech and solar and all that, but we have to add some things to this to this process to get through it. And um, the reason I say that is because, you know, when I heard the stories of those who died um, because of the water crisis, um, I, I, you know, just it it it, it hovers. We were at the Mott Community College, um, and while we were there, you know, you know, even for me, you know, you you know, you go to the bathroom, you know, you know, you know, you know, you don't even wash your hands. You know, it's just like, man, this is this is rough. Everybody walking around with a bottle of water. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just a bad situation. Mothers who were there talking about how they had miscarriages. Man, you know, so, you know, please keep Flint, you know, in your prayer. Um, and we have to continue to, to do that. Speaking of water, uh, you know, Minnie Wachoni, water is life. Um, shout out to the pipeline fighters on the front lines who are still fighting the big, uh, 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 Kinder Morgan protest in Canada. They are amazing. I mean, this you have folks who work for the pipeline company who are c- crossing the lines, getting arrested. Uh, man, keep up the fight. If you are listening in Canada, you are part of the Kinder Morgan protest um, regarding that. You know, we are with you. We love you. We are with you in solidarity. Um, and then there is a, um, a somber shout out and farewell um, to Sudan. Uh, who is the last remaining northern white rhino. You know, I bring this up because it kind of highlights the human impacts on on this planet in regards to climate change and how climate change is causing this unprecedented harm to our ecosystem, including harm to our plants and wildlife. You know, it's a shame when things are becoming extinct because of climate change. And so and, and the goal for this show is that we don't become extinct. That's actually the, the, the bottom line for why we, we have this show, uh, uh, Think 100%, is that so that we can make the right corrections and we don't become uh, I- extinct. So, But it's, it's just sad that we are losing species um, because, of, because of climate change. And so before I get into our show, uh, which we got an amazing show, I just want to give one big shout-out for those 
um, who don't know, there's a there's a, a online magazine. It might be might be actually a magazine. I'm not sure what's on what's online. It's called Gris. Those in the climate world know it. If you're not in the climate world, it's G R I S T Grist, and they have an amazing thing called the Grist 50. Um, if you are in the climate movement, if you want to be part of the climate movement, you want to be you want to be counted in that Grist 50. That's like you know. Like the Emmy and you know and the Oscar, you know that's one of those kind of things. Um, that is, Chris is a is a is a news outlet and it's a network of of innovators. Um, but today, you know, we get to break news on this show now. On here on Think One Hundred Percent, we're breaking some news. Chris uh, announced their twenty eighteen list. So a special shout out to everyone um, who made the Chris Fifty list. Um, you know, that's that's amazing, you know, to be fighting for our planet, fighting for our survival. Um, and that that's such an important thing. But I, I want to recognize a few folks who we know on that list. So I want to give a special shout out to Anthony Smith, um, you know, who is the ambassador for People's Climate Music. Um, she's just been the, the, the song, my, my brother, Bill McKibben. Called, I think he called the, the, the Shawnista, however he, he has a great term for her. Um, and uh, um, But she has been amazing for our movement, using culture um, and using her gift um, to bring music and song through her through her songs. Here Comes the Sun, um, Mercy, Mercy Me, the remake of that from Marvin Gaye. So she is with the ambassador for People's Climate Music. So shout out to Anthony Smith being on the Grist 50. Also shout out to Daniel Blackman out down there in Hotlanta. Can we get cool Atlanta? That's the goal here. We don't make it too hot in Atlanta. But down in Atlanta who's fighting for sustainable communities. My my dear sister, oh man, uh Varnishi Podcast from the Sunrise Movement. Man, they are if you don't know about the Sunrise Movement, man, they are powerhouses out there getting it done on the electoral side. Um, and then my sister, uh, Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson. Um, if you haven't talked to uh, Ayanna, I hope, you, I hope you're listening. She, she's, she's an amazing, just brilliant sister fighting for our oceans with the Ocean Collective. And on that Grist 50 is our first guest. So part of that, so now do we, not only am I breaking the Grist 50 announcement right here on Think 100%, but I'm also have one of the 50. I couldn't have, so I got one out of, I got, so I, I didn't have all the other 49. They are, they with us in spirit, but I got one of the 50. The, um, our first guest, the amazing Shanta Reddy Alonzo with us in the studio. How are you? Doing well. Oh man. So let's, let's just jump into it. Um, uh, let me just first just say our first guest, uh, who's on that Gris 50, Shanta Reddy, Shanta Reddy, Reddy Alonzo is the director of the Creation Justice Ministry. Her Gris profile so that she has the faith to tackle climate change. Come on now. Come on. Come on now. Um, her, her organization started in, in 1983 and represents 40 million uh, practitioners of 38 Christian faiths. She helps to educate, organize, mobilize, energize, and take action. Shonda, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you. So let's 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 get into this conversation. Let me let me start with this uh, amazing Martin Luther King quote. 
uh, doc, because there's been uh, sometimes people think there's a, a conflict between science and, and faith. Um, Dr. King once said that science, quote, this is quote, Dr. King, quote, science investigates, religion interprets. Science gives man knowledge, which is power. Religion gives man wisdom, which is control. Science deals mainly with facts. Religion deals mainly with values. The two are not rivals, end quote. Tell us about you and your work. Why do you do what you do? Yeah, amen. Thanks. So Creation Justice Ministries is an outgrowth of the National Council of Churches USA, and um, we strongly believe that if we have reverence for our Creator, if we believe that Jesus came to this earth to live among us, to breathe the air, to drink the water, that the creation means very much to the God that we pray to and that we should show reverence for all of creation and that actually our original job description is to till and keep the earth and to care for all of God's creation. And so way back before any modern ideas of a green movement or environmentalism was going on, we had this mandate uh, that we got from the book of Genesis to till and to keep and to care for the creation. So that's really the foundation of what we do. Our mission is to protect, restore, and more rightly share all of God's creation. And I've personally been at it as the executive director since 2015, but definitely grew up in a family where these things were important to us. So you weren't there when the org started? I well no we started in 1983 uh, which also happened to be the year I was born. I was going to say I was, was going to say so you were just out the womb. Just. I stand on some powerful shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's amazing. So 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 with that, l- let me go into that more because I, you, you kind of went down this pathway. Let me take a step back. Give the audience who is listening right now to the Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, give them some historical context of the faith community's role in the Green Movement. Sure. So religious communities um, came together in 1983 um, out of three, what I would like to say, are precipitating factors that caught their attention and got them um, involved in force in what we would now consider the environmental movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, One was literal precipitation. Acid rain was a big deal, and religious leaders thought that we needed an organized campaign to um, make sure that we address that issue. So for those who don't know, explain, what's acid rain? Um, Basically, the, the... the rain is unsafe. <laughs> so the rain was so bad, like literally, it was so acidic that it would it would it would burn you. It was like 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 when they had like the 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 Cuyahoga River was on fire. So this is the time it was that bad. Yeah, so, and you know what's funny is like I'm so happy that they attacked that issue because I'm I'm 34 and I don't really know much about acid rain mm. because we were able to take care we were able to take care of that together when we bonded together and looked at how we can take care of the common good. The second issue that they were concerned about was consumerism. Hmm. They found that consumer culture was increasing and that that kind of consumerist spirituality almost was infecting the churches, infecting the um, people's understanding of themselves, of their worth, of how they should be living their lives. And there needed to be an organized faith community response that talked about the value of simple, simple living 
and keeping focused on um, on God and not on idolatry hmm. of money, of mammon. And then the third thing that brought them together was actually some um, astute voices in the secular environmental movement that said, you know, Christians misread the dominion mandate in the book of Genesis, and that's why we're in the mess we're in. The dominion mandate is an infamous line in right. the book of Genesis that talks about how we are supposedly having dominion over, or some people read it as being in charge of, or maybe even being free to abuse all of the creation. Well, when you dig into the Hebrew scriptures, you find very quickly that dominion has a lot more to do with um, benevolent caretaking uh, than it does uh, dominating. And so having misread dominion as dominating, uh, there was a lot of misunderstanding in religious communities that needed to be set right. And so we wanted to become a good source of Christian education and theological reflection for communities. So that's really where we got our start as an organization, and we were one of the early religious organizations, but now there's a proliferation of them. I mean, the religion and environment movement is robust and growing, that's which good, is great though, right? news. Yeah. Um, we're proud to work alongside our partners with Interfaith Power and Light and Green Faith and so many denominational groups. Um, it's wonderful to have lots of people binding together to put their faith in action. So you speak about faith in action. So let's deal with that because I know from for me being involved with the civil rights and human rights and being a climate justice activist, um, um, the, 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 the faith institutions, the mosque, the synagogue, and the church have been critical for us to overcome things. We, uh, you know, the, the faith institutions were critical in the abolition of, of slavery. Um, they were there and said, this is wrong. Like, you know, we... We don't need to sell people, and they were. They went there and they they fought that. It was the Quakers and many others were were on that issue. Women's rights, um, it was key. Um, the women's suffrage movement, clearly civil rights, um, the the faith. You know, Dr. King and others um, were key in, in in that movement. Um, and and then environmental justice, we're seeing that as well from those, particularly in the, in the UCC Church. Mm -hmm. um, my my dear friend, Dr. Ben Chavis. Um, who was a part of that, um, who coined the term environmental racism. Um, yeah, he did um, that while he was on our leadership team. There it is. See, there is this is a, <laughs> a, a plug. I knew I, this is a plug for Dr. Benters, who also then came over and, and actually then led the Hip Hop Summer Action Network, which actually is one of the organizations that helped create Hip Hop Caucus. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of connections in, in that aspect. But the question for me is this, is that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, it still doesn't seem like the faith community, maybe I, I, they understand some degree of what it means to be far with the green economy. And we're going to have my dear brother Gilbert can be on soon, a little bit later on, about putting solar panels on churches and that kind of thing. And I get that. But from the actual movement standpoint, literally fighting for existence, mm -hmm. um, do you feel like our churches are, uh, and, 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 not, and there, there are some, so I don't want to just, I don't want to put anybody into the, into the box. There are some amazing churches and, and faith institutions that are doing some great work, but are they doing enough? Are, are they, uh, we saw the Pope's encyclical that he put out, which was phenomenal. And if those haven't read that, you should, you should read that. Um, but is it enough? And are they doing enough to put us on the right to join with the, with, and you may not know what's the right word, to join with the climate movement. Is the faith community and the climate movement working together? Are they doing enough to lead? Can they lead? What are your thoughts on that? 
Increasingly, I'm seeing more action, yes. Uh, But no, there is not enough action in any segment of society, including faith communities. And part of my job and what I think about every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to bed is how do we get more people involved in the vital task of uh, tackling climate change? So religious communities have um, many different ways of shaping their work, um, but I do see some signs of hope in terms of groups that are putting faith in action. For example, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, as a whole denomination in July of 2017, decided at their assembly that they were going to have every single facility that belongs to their denomination go carbon neutral by 2030. Wow. And, and give me give me a, what does that mean? Like, how large is that? Like, what's, what's that, what, 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 what size is that? You say every that that's worldwide. Yeah, that's thousands of congregations. Wow. It's camp conference and retreat centers. It's wow. their denominational headquarters. And churches are, you know, like church communities are major property owners. So there's a lot there in terms of uh, what your next guest is going to talk about, which is going green. Um, but then there, you know, the question is, how do we not only go green, but how do we live out our faith out in the streets? And how do we bring it to the decision makers? How do we bring it to voting? Well, the United Church of Christ has a really cool campaign that they're inviting lots of people into um, called Creation Care Voters. Hmm. And they're asking people this year to sign up and take a pledge to consider care of God's creation when they're making their voting decisions this year. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't put that at the top of their list of issues that they care about. And so we're trying to start this conversation early in 2018 along with them. I've also seen a new sign in the Episcopal Church of the whole church of all of the issues they work on. Care for creation, stewardship of creation is one of three top priorities. So I think a lot of churches are turning a corner in terms of the level of priority they're putting on this. And honestly, some of it has to do with the fact that we are looking at the signs of the times and realizing that if we don't work, do this work, who will? And, and let me let me let me piggyback on that because you talk, you talk about faith, mm-hmm. um, and so clearly your faith. And you meant we talk about morality. Mm-hmm. So let, let's get into that for a little bit. Um, clearly, as a person of faith, I, I know without even asking you that it grieves you when you hear about there's 65 percent of people of color, color who mm-hmm. live within 30 miles of a coal fire power plant, and you know because of that because of that decision that was made somewhere in some suite or in some boardroom, that pollution then causes asthma Mm -hmm. and cancer and emphysema. And that then stunts, not only kills people, but stunts their whole existence. Mm -hmm. And that, I'm sure, is that as as a person of faith, as as a Christian, that that grieves you. It grieves you when you think about Flint, that people have poisoned water, and you think about all the issues regarding that. And it grieves me to think about when Alabama, the co-ash that's running off into it. So you know what this means. You, and so I'm, I'm, and, and, and I'm sure, like many of first people of faith, you pray. Mm-hmm. But then how do you, how, does, how do you move that prayer from that faith to action? Well, here's what's happening a lot. There's a lot of praying, you're right. There's also a lot of first responding, and we see that when disasters strike communities, when there's flooding, when people are, um, you know, faced with hurricanes. Um, Faith communities are often the first ones on the scene and the last ones to leave. Um, You know, in terms of health ministries, there are a lot of faith-rooted hospitals that are taking care of people who are suffering impacts of air pollution, who are suffering impacts of toxic water. 
Um, so we are responding. We are, you know, faith communities are very active in refugee resettlement. I want to say almost half of all refugee resettlement happens through faith communities, and a lot of refugees are being displaced because of climate change. So we are responding. The question is now, how do we shift from that mode of responding to looking a little bit further back and thinking about root causes and what is our moral responsibility to deal with climate change so that fewer people suffer, so that we don't totally exhaust ourselves with the charity work and with the, you know, the need to respond to emergencies all the time. We have to start looking ahead. And, and so in looking ahead, and so so I, I want to. So I want to go back to I, you. You brought up something that was very, very important. I want to make sure our listeners heard you. And you're listening. If you're tuning in right now, you're listening to Think. You're listening to WPFW eight nine point three. You're listening to Think one hundred percent, the coolest show on climate change, uh, right now. Um, and we we are here talking about faith um, and and the green movement. Um, and so I want to just get back to which you were just saying about climate refugees. Mm -hmm. Tell our audience, because there is the reality of what it means to be based, Sharanta, uh, on, on a fossil fuel-based economy. Mm -hmm. And with that kind of economy, we don't transition from fossil fuels to clean energy. We continue to have this madness of staying on that. Then we'll continue to have what we had with Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, and Hurricane Maria, and with the firestorms in California, and with the droughts, and with the out-of-control north nor'easters, and what we got with the, the mudslides in, 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 in India, or we got what's going on in, just all over this world. So if we don't transition, then we're going to be having more people who will be refugees. So explain to folks, and you mentioned how the church is trying to put their arms around mm -hmm. these climate refugees. So explain what exactly is a climate refugee. Well, so climate change is a fueler of conflict. Uh, it's also a fueler of drought. Uh, and so when, um, you know, when communities can no longer um, live in a certain place, and this is the story of Syria to a large degree. Exactly. You know, farmers were displaced because of drought. They had to move into a city. Conditions mm. were crowded. People didn't have ways to economically sustain themselves. Political tensions grew. It, p many people say that climate change was one of the main feeders of the conflict in Syria that we see now. So climate change then is actually leading into wars and conflicts. Yeah, and many mm. people are telling a similar story about <sighs> Sudan. Um, so we're going to see this story continue to repeat itself around the world if we don't take climate action seriously and take it now. So with that, what 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 to, what are we doing on the policy side? So here in, in, in America, and people listening to this, I know from all over the globe, tuning in online, but here in, in, in America... What's happening on Capitol Hill, and and do you and do you get engaged in that? I mean, with and do, do you how, how do you how do you gauge that with a faith, and how how, how does that work? Working with policy, I know sometimes people don't want to get engaged in that, and then if you do get engaged, in that, what are some of the policies that are happening right now to create change? There are so many things happening on Capitol Hill right now, and it's very important to keep people educated about all of the things that we need to be watching. There's legislation that is. Um, out there trying to roll back regulations or make policies less effective, including the Endangered Species Act um, that would have helped, um, well, creatures that are going extinct. Um, we educate people about public policies. We connect religious leaders with their own decision makers and help them um, have the information, the relevant information that they need to express their faith values 
about our moral imperative to take care of all of creation, whether it's the creatures, whether it's our climate, our mm. water, and they're all under threat right now. Wow. So, so um, l- 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 let me let me say this then. Then, how when you see folks, I don't call no names. You see folks running government agencies. I'm not calling no names, but you can, we can put two or two together if you want to. But they're in these positions of power. And we know, as people of faith, that man, that where much is given, much is required. Much is required. And so when you see that, people who are in these positions and they have the ability to help make sure we have clean water and we have clean air. And instead of being on the side of the people, they're on the side of the polluters. How does that hit you in your spirit? It grieves me deeply. Um, and the way that I maintain hope without being naive is that, you know, creating, um, we do our part. You know, we, we are the ones who sow the seeds and God is the one who will see the fruition. <laughs> Uh, and God is capable of offering a conversion experience <laughs> to anyone. And it's come not on, up to on, us. It's not up to like us that. to make the conversion happen. We just have to make available the environment where um, God can do the work. And so um, in terms of our everyday ministry, that's what we do. We try to create the conditions. We, we share the stories. We share the opportunities to do the right thing. Uh, the reality is some of the decision makers that are there are um, are going to side with those who are harming creation. And we have a lot of cleanup work to do. But the good news is that right now in 2018, uh, we have an election coming up. That's right. And we can be creation care voters. And uh, same thing in 2020. So we have a lot of work to do. And I know the Hip Hop Caucus is on that, too. Thank you. Well, we we on that. And if you hear us in our, in our tone, if it sounds like it, it's almost like we welling up because we are welling up because we know how important this is, and we think you know, as people of faith, we're thinking about what this does to the babies, what this does to our mamas, and so. But we're gonna fight on. We are. We we gonna fight on. So it's real. It's this is real. Uh, this is a good time for a break. I think man, something about the breakdown up here. We think about well, we gonna keep fighting. Santa, ready, Alonzo. ED of Creation Justice Ministries. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. You are listening to Think 100%, the coolest and right now the cryingest show on on climate change. I am Rev Ewitt of the Hip Hop Caucus. Uh, If you want to follow along or submit some questions, I'll check them out at hashtag think100. That's hashtag think100 or at Hip Hop Caucus. This is WPFW eighty nine point eight nine point three. Um and I wanted to shout out our good friends who help support the League of Conservation Voters, L C V and UCF Union of Concerned Scientists who uh you know worked with us on this process. But let's get right on into it. Man, I got you know, I am a proud graduate of the Howard University. Uh, amazing HU, the only HU. So I know I got some friends who went to the other HU, but to the real HU. My next guest, who is is a is a businessman. He's a person of faith, 
and he is a co-founder of Vote Energy. Welcome, my brother, Gilbert Campbell. How are you, my brother? I'm blessed. Thank you for having me, Rev. Man, it is so good to see you, man, uh, here. Um, Vote Energy is a nationwide renewable energy firm that is operating in over 10 cities. They develop and finance renewable energy projects for commercial, for government, educational, and nonprofit institutions, including churches, and now including at, at Howard University. Um, their mission is to uplift communities through um, opportunities and benefit from clean tech. He is my fellow Howard U. Bison. Uh, you know. You know. Come on now. Uh, Gilbert, What? tell us about you and your work. Sure. Um, so my business partner and I actually uh, became friends at uh, at Howard and and where 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 at Howard? Where was it in the in Drew or? Yeah, we came in Drew together. There so it is. We, Come on we, now. We did our bid in Drew, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and stayed friends throughout the years. Right. And then um, in 2009, we decided to uh, launch Volt Energy. Okay. And and you you hit on it before, but basically at a high level, what we do is we finance and build solar projects for companies like the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, City governments, we put solar here at City Hall in Washington, D.C. Uh, we do a lot of work with utility companies like Pepco, but our passion lies in education. So okay. we do a lot of work with universities like Wake Forest, Howard, and then what we're going to talk about today is we do a lot of work with churches, and um, it's it's purposeful work. Well, tell us more, because as, as an African-American, tell us some more about why you got into this green economy and what it means for you. Give us some more background into that process. Sure. Um First things first, you know, just being completely transparent as a as a businessman and entrepreneur, saw an opportunity uh, to make to make to make money. Yeah, and then, um, but really, once I started to learn more about the opportunities with renewable energy, particularly with solar, to be able to tie an industry where you can make a good profit in return, but you also can be doing impact work. Okay. So for for me, that was a a win win and a a little bit of a, a background. My father's a pastor. Okay. My grandfather was a pastor. Okay. And my great grandfather was a pastor. So uh, being able to work with churches was just a no brainer. So then and, and and so for you, it was just a natural component. So you heard the last conversation. Mm-hmm. Amazing. We, we was all in here just wrapping up in tears, my brother. We was, we was just getting this thing about the impact of pollution and the impact of those chemicals in our community. And I think that me and Charlie were just saying trying to get through the segment. But for you Tell me more about like how how did how did you get into helping churches? I mean, so obviously you had a lineage of that from your from your grandfather, your father, and before. But then you, when you got into this business model, you went back to the church. How did that step come? How did you go back to the church as a model to help them get involved? And what are you doing with them? Sure. So it started um, probably in about 2011, okay. where we were looking at how can we. Um, from a solar standpoint, since we're financing solar projects, typically you have to look at clients that have uh, high creditworthiness that have been in business for a while, like your big companies. Take a, take a put, put, put a pin right there. Explain for our folks when you say solar projects and solar, what is solar and what a solar project means to you? Sure. So what we do is we put solar panels, which takes energy from the sun and creates direct electricity that we put into our clients and they okay. use. So what we do is solar can be very expensive. So let's say, for example, let's take a, a church. It may cost $500,000 to a $1 million to install solar. So the average consumer, whether it's a residential homeowner or a church or a big corporation, 
we're accustomed to paying for electricity. You get your bill on a monthly basis and you pay it. Now with solar, you're asking someone to pay for electricity in advance. That business model didn't really make sense. So the solar industry realized we had to come up with a financing mechanism that people are used to buying electricity. So for that same example, let's say that project is $500,000. As a company, we invest that $500,000 to install the solar that includes all of the uh, panels and all the equipment and to maintain it. So our clients are getting solar for no upfront cost. And we're selling them solar electricity at a lower price than what they're paying utility companies. So wow. it's a financial savings. So for them too, as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, now what, what? So do they get money back from that? I mean, I know people have said that when they have these solar panels that they're putting actually power back into the grid. Is that how your process works as well? So that do they actually? Will they get money back from what they're doing for the panel? Yeah, so with net metering, if you're producing more than what you use, yep. then you can get a credit on your bill. The challenge is with a lot of churches, just by the limited roof space and without having a lot of land, for example, that solar typically is like anywhere from 25 to 75% of the church's usage. So you're not going to be taking a church completely off the grid. Got it, got it. So we also share some, besides being from the amazing Howard University, we also share that we were both for White House Champions of Change. Uh, we share that. We both were honored by President Obama um, um, uh, in that process. And one of the things there, um, I remember, um, President Obama mentioned that there was an article, I believe, in the Baltimore Sun, and the Baltimore Sun that uh, environmentalism isn't for white people anymore. That was the kind of, and it was about how they were putting solar panels um, in urban communities in Baltimore. Um, and so, People don't understand what that means. So when this this understand, he and he was excited because clearly you know this to, he was he was excited because he was like man we're we're we're, we're broadening this movement. Explain for our, our listeners who are listening and they hear that I said what does that mean? Explain why the president would be excited about a movement broadening like that. Because it's when you look at uh, I compare it to like the dot coms of like the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Clean tech is going to be driving. Uh, creating a lot of millionaires and billionaires going forward in the future. So specifically, um, in 2015, according to Bloomberg New Energy Finance, $44 billion was invested in solar projects in the United States. Wow. By 2040, listen to this number, $10.2 trillion will be invested in renewable energy projects. By 2040, $10.2 trillion. So our community really needs to tap into uh, some definitely. of these resources. So it's, it's wealth building, it's wealth creation. That's where I think President Obama had the foresight to see in our communities we need to make sure we're at the forefront uh, of this boom that's taking place. Now, but, you know, there was, there was election, mm-hmm. as you know, and the the solar, since with the new administration, has kind of, there's been, it has, it suffered. So mm-hmm. ex- explain what, what has happened since the president has left, President Obama has left, and now we have a new administration. Explain the impact on solar. Sure. Huge impact. Um so when you look at the agencies, you know, the, the administration 45 is trying to basically strip the EPA, the Department of Energy is, uh, doesn't have the resources that it used to have. But the, I think the biggest impact from a solar standpoint is there was recently a tariff put on um, importation of solar modules from uh, from China and other places. Mm-hmm. And that has an impact directly on price. And when you look at a solar project, only about 30 to 40 percent of the cost is from the panels. When you look at the work that's done, that's American workers that are doing the work. So to give you an example, one out of every 50 new jobs is in solar. Wow. So why would you make a 
decision that's going to negatively impact an industry that's being a job creation when you're supposedly platformers, you're trying to create jobs and make America great again. That doesn't really add up. No, it doesn't add up at all, actually. And so, so what, what would be, so what, what's the rationale? What would be, I mean, you probably, nobody can get the rationale with this administration, but what, what would you think would be the rationale behind that thinking? Why would they then try to, is it simply that they want to, can they talk about we want coal jobs? And we know what that is, and that's, that, that's, that's not a, that, that, that is not a reality, and that we need to transition those workers. But is it because they want to do coal? Is it because they want to go oil? Why would they be so hell-bent on that process? Because the lobbying from the oil and gas industry is huge, mm-hmm. number one. And then number two, um, you know, 45 has shown that he wants to do everything anti what President Obama did, even if it means, you know, having a negative impact on one of the fastest-growing industries in our economy. Wow! Wow! So, folks, you, you, we, as, as my, my co-host is not here, uh, Mustafa Ali, he he is out there speaking today at Ohio University. But if this was his moment, he would say it's time for some real talk. Yeah, uh, this this would be the time he would he would interject that. You are listening to Think One Hundred Percent, the coolest show on climate change. We are here with my guest Gilbert Campbell, who is the co-founder of Vote Energy. Um, Gilbert. Get, if young folks are listening to this show and they want to get involved, and you, I, I loved how you said, "Listen, man, Rev, I got this." I, it was a business model. Let me just keep it one hundred. Like this is there is money to be made. This process, it's, it's the it's the future. If young folks want to get involved with this, one, what would they do to get involved? Like, what would they study? What would they do? And then where would they go? Great question. First thing I would say is to look to join some of the uh, trade associations. So if you're interested in solar, for example, uh, you have SIA, the Solar Energy Industries Association, or for wind, you have a WEA, American Wind Energy Association. So just to start your knowledge base, you can start there. But really understanding how the technology works, and that's as simple as there's resources online or really just trying to find a project you can go to. So any any young person that's listening that wants to see a solar project, I personally uh, guarantee that I can, wherever city you're based, and we can make arrangements for you to see a project. I think by, we get technology, and young people get it. Once they can touch and feel it, they understand it. And solar is not rocket science. I mean, it's you're literally putting in panels. The sun hits the uh, panels. It creates DC electricity, which like you plug into your car. And you have these little things called inverters that convert it to AC electricity, which we plug into our appliances. So it, it, it's simple technology uh, that anyone really can uh, to get into. But to answer your second point, going into um, school and college, really you can go in any industry. I mean, solar is just like any other company. You have, you know, look at our company. We have accountants. We have finance people. We work with legal. Uh, we have people that do the installation. So it really doesn't matter what trade you go into. But solar is, is really is a financial model, I would say, up front. So I, I would encourage people to understand the financial side of it because when you're talking to companies and to nonprofits, first things first, they have to make sure that they're savings and it makes good financial sense. And then the other part of that is more and more universities have sustainability programs. So I would encourage people to look at sustainability programs as well, too. No, that's a great point. Please, and please, if you're uh, – uh, I, I just check out – Check out Vote Energy, um, you know, to, to what they're doing, I'm sure. And on that, let me speak to that, actually. As a young African-American man in this industry, how many people of color do you see around you? I mean, is, is, do we, are, are more people around you? Do you find yourself not, don't see many of people of color, you know, black or red or brown in this industry? And do you, do you find yourself, do you find yourself with other folks in this industry giving mentorship? 
or are they sharing, you know, in business, business is about sometimes who you, it ain't what you know, it's who you know. So do you find yourself competing in a way in which if you're competing in this, in this, in this industry, are you able to sit at the table? Are you able to then have the conversations? Do you find yourself able to compete on that regard? That's a great question. And, and as you mentioned with Mustafa, having real talk. No, it's um, not real talk. Here, the, here we are. Here we yeah, are. The, the clean economy or the clean tech movement has really locked black people out, mm. uh, people of color in general. Um, when you look at I talked about like the $44 billion that was invested. If you looked at how much went to African-American companies or job figures, it's very, it's very low. So from that standpoint, it, it can be frustrating. You have to break down barriers. But we've been blessed to have great mentors to make sure we have a seat at the table. And it's our responsibility with a seat at the table to make sure that we're opening up ladders of opportunities right. for other people to want to come behind us. You mentioned, well, before, so we already mentioned how we have in common HU. Mm-hmm. We have in common, we were both for White House, Chambers of Change. Mm-hmm. This we don't have in common, but my mama and you have this in common, that my mama is a diehard Eagles fan. Phenomenal woman. Well, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a Saints fan because you know I'm from I'm from I'm from the boot down Louisiana. But you know she's she you know she she's diehard. So she was jumping around, you know, you know whatever. And and that whole process. I'm sure you were too as well. Absolutely. Probably still jumping. Y'all, y'all both still jumping. Y'all coming here. You know, fly, eagle, fly. The whole nine yards. I might even shed a tear, right? Oh, come on. You might, you know, he or, we shed a tear for God and shed a tear for the eagles. They, 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 they cross together. They both, they both. I, I actually have a funny story about that. So one of the first projects that we did, and uh, this was in 2010, I believe, during the first stimulus bill, there was a lot of money out there for training people to get into solar jobs. Mm-hmm. So we partnered with an organization called People for People in Philadelphia. And what we did was we helped train 80 people. Some of them had just came up, got out of jail, and then they were down, down and out to un- learn how to install solar. So we built like a simulated roof training environment. It was an eight-week class. The pastor of the organization, uh, Pastor Herbert Lusk, Mm-hmm. was the first NFL player ever to pray and kneel in the end zone. He played for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he also was the Eagles chaplain. So it was cool to see him at the uh, yeah, right. Super Bowl parade. It all comes around. Well, coming off a son, you know, right. my, my team had a heartbreak. Right. Well, you know, but I'm, I'm, my, my, my mama's happy. You have Gilbert's happy. We, we, we all happy. Uh, Gilbert, let, let me get to this. One of the things that you mentioned was about um, college students and young people. Um, tell us what you're actually doing with Howard University for those who are listening right now. Sure. So the model I mentioned before where it's called a power purchase agreement, we're uh, financing and putting solar on numerous buildings across campus, but we're also putting electric vehicle charging stations just thinking around the corner. So if you have students that have electric vehicles, they'll be able to plug in. But since we're installing solar, it's a great opportunity for students to learn. So we took a step back and said, okay, typically you think about engineering, um, or sustainability, those would be like the career paths that you would think would you know would benefit from solar. But we said, you know what, let's look at our company and other companies in this space. Let's involve multiple different schools. So, for example, we've got the business school students involved. We've talked to them, and we're going to show them transparently how we make money and why it makes sense for our customers to make the investment in solar. And then when you look at the law school, we spend a lot on legal. We have to draft a lot of documents. So to be able to talk to the law school students about here's a career path you can go to in renewable energy, and maybe it's a different area of law that you can look to practice. We've been working with architectural um, students at, at, at Howard and also clearly the engineering students. And we had an engineering student 
to do a lot of our design work. So we wanted to give them real tangible experience to this project, but touching multiple different schools. And the last thing I'll add to that is, as you know, you have to have PR, media, and social right. media. So right. the School of C, School of Communications, you know, we're going to talk to the School of C as well, just so everyone can kind of touch and feel and see whatever role that they're doing, they can play a part in the clean energy economy. How can this benefit? Because, you know, I, all, all of my degrees have come from black colleges, mm-hmm. right? My undergraduate degree, my, 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 my master's of divinity degree, even my D-men, mm-hmm. right? My D-men came from St. Paul's. St. Paul's no longer exists right now. It's in Lawrenceville, Virginia. It closed down. There are a lot of black colleges that are closing down, right? And that, that grieves me because I know how important that the black college experience is. Um, for I mean, you can go to any school, but I know for me how important it was for me um, to go to a black college. And but I know that there's how about the green economy. How can can the the solar process can green tech can clean tech can all these issues regarding the green uh, uh, industry movements out of this? Um, how can this benefit black colleges? Great question. I have to give a little bit of background information as far as why you see solar in certain parts of the uh, country and you don't. Yeah, please, please. And a lot of our HBCUs, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them are in the South and, you know, some like in Texas and other places. So President Obama did a lot to make sure, like, that solar, we had great solar adoption and the price of solar has come down tremendously as a result of the leadership. And then you have states that have passed what's called a Renewable Portfolio Standard, or RPS. Mm-hmm. And that means that the utility companies have to purchase a certain amount of clean electricity and they have a carve-out for solar. Make a long story short, what that means is that creates a market where an investor like us can invest in projects in certain geographies, geography, excuse me, and it makes financial sense. The challenge when you look at uh, typically red states, they don't have strong renewable portfolio standards as an intern. It's hard to make investments um, in those areas. So the way I think to get around that is we need to look at social impact investors to be able to come in and understand that. The return may not be as high as other places, but in order to bring more people into the climate movement, if you're in Georgia or if you're in, in Mississippi or even coal country, right. you hear about all these solar jobs and all this money being spent. But if you can't see it in your community, you can't get behind it. So we need to be able to get into these communities in the opposition of not having policymakers that are taking the lead and take the lead in making sure that people are getting these green jobs and benefiting from it. Man, man, I can't believe how quick this time always goes. Listen, um, I have one more. I have one more question, but I just ask you: Will you? I need you to come back. I need, I need you to come back. You need to, we, we, we had like a green business report component of Think One Hundred Percent. We need. I need you to, to do that. Will you do that for me? Be happy to come back anytime. Let me read this quote I gave to Shanta earlier, um, and I want because on your side, I know you are also a person of faith, and this is a season of faith. We have. Passover coming up. We have Good Friday coming up. We have Easter coming up. Um, uh, we have you know Ramadan right around the corner. Um, uh, Dr. King said this quote. He said, "Science investigates, religion interprets. Science gives man knowledge, which is power. Religion gives man wisdom, which is control." Science deals mainly with facts. Religion deals mainly with values. The two are not rivals. As a person of faith, what does that mean for you? Uh, It means everything. I mean, if you look at the first Bible verse, in the beginning, God creates heaven and 
Yeah. So it's our it's our job to be good environmental stewards. So I, I definitely agree with uh, Dr. King's quote. And then if you look at the church, I mean, the church has always been the epicenter for social change, um, civil rights, and economic development. We're talking about our our communities have had the worst impacts with climate change. Now, when you're having industry that's booming on the positive impacts of climate change, we should be at the forefront of that. We took all the negative impacts of it. Why aren't we benefiting financially from this industry? Well, Gilbert, man, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to having you on again. Uh, you know, keep trusting that process in Philly. All day long. Uh, uh, keep trusting. Um, as, as we get ready to close out this show, I, I actually um, want to say a few things. Um, I wanted to end the show. Um, we are, I always play Vic Mensa's song, um, If We Could Be Free. Um, and I want us to listen to that. He actually sang that at the March for Our Lives um, this past weekend. Um, and the reality is that the reason why we do this show, um, Think 100%, is simply because um, we are still marching for our lives, not only for gun reform, but for in regards to climate change. Um, uh, you know, our parents, you know, in, in the 20th century, um, they fought primarily for equality. They fought so we can drink from, um, you know, the water fountain. And so today, even, you know, as we grieve, you know, Sister Brown, who passed, who was one of the, the matriarchs of the Brown v. Board Education, um, the whole generation is passing on. And and for our generation of, of, you know, those who are in our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, our teens, even, you know, even those who are just, you know, 8, 9 we saw from this past weekend, you know, we 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 have to fight. And I, and I want to let you all know, you know, this evening that, you know, a lot of times um, it seems daunting. Um, in the climate movement, it seems daunting. You know, we heard from, from Gilbert and, you know, with Vote Energy. And that just shows that we can, you can make money from this process. You can, you can get out there and, and you can, you can do good and do well. Um, um, and, and, or, and do well and do good. And so showing that you can take care of, go back to your alma mater, showing you can take care of putting things, you know, we, we didn't, we talked about Floyd Avenue Baptist Church and with solar panels and other churches in our community and around this country. Um, Shanta, you know, brought us to tears earlier. Um, you know, when we talk about just the moral obligation and how the church has been involved. But let me let me just say this. In the 20th century, you know, our parents fought for equality. In the 21st century, we are now fighting for existence. When Dr. King gave a speech, you know, at that march on Washington's for jobs and justice, um, you know, he didn't stand there like the amazing Emma Gonzalez who stood there in silence um, for this to, to demonstrate the terror. He stood there about a dream. And, and, and in that process, he says, you know, I have a dream that one day we will be free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty we'll be free at last. So I want us, as we move forward in this process, to know that our children will one day, because we transition from fossil fuels to clean energy, they won't just say free at last. They're going to rise up and they're going to say one day we're going to be fossil free at last. 
fossil free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are fossil free at last. We can do this. We can be free. We will be free. Thank you for listening to Hip Hop Caucus. Thank 100%. Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think 100 Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, Please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Think 100, think 100, think 100, think 100.